The Accounting Matters Podcast lives up to its name. Every other week, we bring you a new episode where we cover vital accounting topics that actually matter to accounting professionals. Each episode, we introduce a new topic and then highlight and discuss the key areas. We're your hosts, Adam Olson and Zach Smith, and we hope you stick around for all things accounting from A to Z. From Embark's headquarters in Dallas, Texas, this is Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark. Hi, hello, good morning. It's great to be with each of you. I'm Zach Smith, Embark's East Region Market President, and I'm joined with my co-host, Adam Olson, Embark's Accounting Advisory Practice Leader. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing how to jumpstart your financial reporting with the balance sheet. To help with this discussion, we have Mac Martinez, a director in Embark's financial accounting practice. Adam, Mac, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Adam, we're starting a new series centered on startup companies who may be preparing a full set of gap financial statements for the first time. Mm-hmm. Today, as I said, we're gonna focus on the balance sheet, but before we move into some of the specific requirements and best practices there, can you remind our listeners what is considered a quote, full set of financial statements? Yeah, sure. So a full set of financial statements, it's really outlined in ASC 205 and it comprises kind of the key basic statements that you're all familiar with. So the balance sheet that we're talking about today or the statement of financial position as it's also referred to, your income statement, your statement of comprehensive income, your cash flow statement, and then your statement of equity. Um, I think one thing that some people kind of maybe forget or kind of ignore Um, But obviously, as a key component of the financial statements is also the disclosures. So the footnotes to the financial statements that also provide context to the the face of the financial statements. Uh, One thing to note about ASC 205 is it it does align as well because there is separate presentation and um, guidance that's available to SEC registrants and Reg SX. And so ASC 205 does closely align with a lot of the requirements of Reg SX. But then there are incremental requirements for public registrants. Um, under SEC rules. So that's just another you know, component to keep in mind. And then just, I always like to just provide this for context is that you know, when you're thinking about presentation and what needs to be included, and obviously we're gonna talk about the balance sheet here today, you know, there's always an element of materiality when it comes to how you prepare mm-hmm. your financial reporting and your financial statements and footnotes and things like that. So obviously items that aren't material, Um, don't necessarily have to be included in your financial statements, even though they might be an explicit requirement. Okay, that's helpful. So our listeners wanna know, do these financial statements need to be presented in a comparative format? So it depends, I guess is the broad answer there. So, you know, there's obviously a consensus that comparative financial information is more useful, right? It enhances the ability for users of the financial statements to kind of analyze uh, financial performance of the reporting entity and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, generally you will see most reporting entities that include at least one comparative period. Uh, for SEC registrants, it is a requirement. You have to present comparative pyramids, period. So you will have two balance sheets um, in most cases. And then for non-public entities, it's not an explicit requirement. So you could only present one period, but, you know, it's obviously encouraged that people have comparative financial statements where, where permissible. 
Okay, super helpful. Mac, I'm gonna throw it over to you now. I know that we're diving today specifically into the balance sheet. Give a little background to our listeners on exactly what is the balance sheet and the overall general purpose. Sure, um, so as, as Adam mentioned earlier, the balance sheet is one of the basic financial statements uh, included in a complete set of financial statements that's required for reporting for both public and private companies. Um, it can also be commonly referred to as the statement of financial position, so you may hear that as well. Um, the general purpose really is to be able to see what the overall financial health of, a, of the reporting entity is at any point in time. So within the balance sheet, you can, you can see what, what an entity owns, which would be its assets, uh, what it owes to outside parties, which would be liabilities, and then you know, total investment by its shareholders, which would be in the shareholders equity. Um, so usually the financial statements may look at the balance sheet um, and can pull several key metrics um, to determine kind of the financial straight strength of the company. Uh, an example of this, current assets minus current liabilities would be a good way to estimate an entity's ability to pay its upcoming immediate op obligations. You know, how fast can you convert those assets into cash to, uh, you know, diminish your liabilities? Uh, when you see a balance sheet for a reporting entity for consecutive periods, this kind of goes back to the comparative, right? Uh, a user of the financial statements may be able, be able to identify uh, some trends among groupings within the balance sheet or some of the financial statement line items that would indicate trends in the financial health of the entity. Yeah. So where in US GAAP do we find guidance on the balance sheet? So ASC 210 provides uh, most of the guidance on the presentation for the balance sheet. Um, it's not exhausted. Uh, for example, ASC, ASC 210, um, it, it doesn't have any requirements around captions or disaggregation. Uh, it does not require a, ca a classified balance sheet, which we'll get into more, um, but this format is, is widely used in practice, especially in certain industries. Um, and then some of the other topics that, that are uh, relevant here, there's industry specific topics in Reg SX for SEC registrants, and then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, now that we know what a balance sheet is, talk to me about the presentation and the makeup of the balance sheet and what that needs to look like. Okay. Uh, so we mentioned earlier, the balance sheet's broken down into three major sections, assets, which is what the entity owns, liabilities, which is what the entity owes to third parties or outside parties, uh, and then stockholders equity. Um, so there's a formula that you learn in you know, your first accounting class ever uh, that helps with understanding the making, makeup of the balance sheet. Uh, it's assets equals liabilities plus stockholders equity. So in other words, the balance sheet should always balance uh, between assets on one side and then liabilities and stockholders equity on the other side. We're getting to the basics. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was say, this is back to the basics for sure. Um, so Adam, I wanna throw it over to you. I know that we mentioned classification. Yep. Do reporting entities have to provide a classified balance sheet? So classified balance sheet is pretty common in practice, but U.S. GAAP does not specifically require a classified balance sheet. You know, but that being said, SEC registrants under Reg SX for certain types of businesses, so industrial and commercial businesses, do have to present a classified balance sheet. And really, a classified balance sheet is it's it's doing just that. It's breaking up um, classification between those assets and liabilities that are current and those that are non-current, and obviously the ability to present current assets and current liabilities help users of the financials like discern certain ratios. So, you know, try to understand working capital, 
by having the availability of that information in the financial statements. Okay, super helpful there. But talk to me now about uh, a classified balance sheet and how it's prepared. How does one actually determine what gets classified as current versus non-current? Is there any guidance around those? Yeah, so there is. So, you know, obviously that's the big distinction is like which bucket does your do your assets and liabilities fall into? And, you know, just kind of stepping back, like a current asset itself are those that are reasonably expected to be realized in cash or sold or consumed within an entity's normal operating cycle. And that's kind of a key component of this determination is the operating cycle. And then on, on the flip side, current liabilities mm -hmm. are going to generally include those obligations that were kind of incurred during the normal operating cycle. So all that being said, you know, your net, your true step to figure out whether or not things are current or non-current is first understanding what is your operating cycle. Okay. And so for our listeners who aren't familiar with that term, mm -hmm. talk to me about exactly what is an operating cycle. Is it just a fiscal reporting period? Is it a 12 month period? How do we need to think about that? Yeah. So in most cases, um, a normal operating cycle for a large number of reporting entities are going to be it's going to be 12 months, right? And so it's going to be kind of one fiscal year um, will be used to determine that, you know, balance sheet classification. But on the other hand, there are certain industries that do have operating cycles that could extend beyond 12 months. So for these specific cases, when you have a longer operating cycle, you're going to use that longer, longer period to then determine your, you know, whether your assets or liabilities are current or non-current. And you tend to see that in like more specific industries. So I think the guidance even alludes to some of this around, you know, they mentioned like the tobacco industry, the distillery industry um, as being kind of common examples where the operating cycle might be longer. If a company determines their operating cycle is less than 12 months, they still use 12 months though to determine current versus non-current. So Adam, do all balance sheet captions have a current and non-current presentation? They don't. So not everything is going to kind of be assessed with this kind of operating cycle assessment of like current versus non-current. So I'll give you a couple examples. So if you think about like property, plant and equipment or your intangible assets, you know, generally those are going to have uh, some type of depreciable life. So like there's going to be components of those that are recognized during the current operating cycle. So the expense for the depreciation or amortization. but in reality, that kind of charge to the op during the operating cycle is really just kind of an allocation of cost um, for the period and really doesn't represent like a realization in cash or consumption of that asset during the operating cycle. So you wouldn't see someone try to split like current fixed assets and non-current fixed assets. They're all going to be all non-current and then you'll just have expense running through the period. Um, another example might be like deferred income tax balances. So there's specific guidance within the income tax standard about how you classify deferred tax balances. And so there are, you know, that's a good example where there's exceptions that don't necessarily apply this kind of general operating cycle rule because there's specific guidance for those types of balances. And there's other instances like that in US GAAP. So it's you know important to be cognizant of those items. Okay. So Mac, again, we're sticking with the basics here, 101, but talk to me about some other presentation matters that preparers need to keep in mind when pulling together their balance sheet. Sure. So one of the biggest ones to keep in mind uh, is which captions you actually do need to include on the balance sheet. And then also the chronological 
chronological order in which those captions should be presented on the balance sheet. Okay, so let's go ahead and take chronological order first. Is there just a general rule or practice uh, for folks and how they determine what order line items on the balance sheet should be listed? So US GAAP actually does not prescribe a specific order uh, for balance sheet captions. Uh, but in practice, you'll often see reporting entities present assets and liabilities in descending order of liquidity. So for assets, you know, how fast you expect you can convert your assets into cash. And then for li liabilities, how quickly you expect them to be due. Okay, super helpful there. So speaking of line item captions, let's go back to uh, reporting entities and how they determine which one to include or how to disaggregate some of the amounts on the balance sheet. Uh, does US GAAP provide any guidance there? There are minimum caps and requirements outlined in US GAAP. Uh, however, they do not come directly from ASC 210, which we mentioned earlier, uh, but rather specific topics within other sections of US GAAP. Uh, for example, uh, the requirement to present uh, accumulated other comprehensive income, or AOCI, as a separate component of equity, which is within ASC 220, and then the requirement to present goodwill separate from other assets, which is within ASC 350. For, for SEC registrants, there's some other incremental guidance that helps dictate what balance sheet captions need to be reflected. Uh, so most, most private companies will also follow uh, these general requirements, but there's not uh, specific explicit requirements for private companies for these exact thresholds. Okay, so let's dig into some of the rules for registrants and how it relates to balance sheet captions. Okay, so for SEC reporting entities, they're required to separately present uh, individual balance sheet amounts that exceed certain quanti quantitative thresholds. So any current assets with am that amount to greater than 5% of total assets, any other assets that amount to greater than 5% of total assets, you have to split out notes receivable separately if it exceeds 10% of total receivables. You have to present each class of intangible asset, so think goodwill, trade name, customer relationship, things of that nature, uh, that, are in, that are in excess of total, 5%, total of 5% of uh, total assets. So, the, so each one of those classes would have to be separately if, if they're in excess of 5%. Okay, now what about liabilities? So for it's similar with liabilities. Current liabilities uh, that amount to greater than 5% of total liabilities have to be separate. And then any other liabilities that amount to greater than 5% of total liabilities. Um, so US GAAP does not preclude disaggregation beyond required captions and subcaptions, so long as they don't mislead users of the financial statements or obscure important uh, other financial information. Okay, so very much a 5% rule, except for the notes receivable, which we'll, we'll say is 10. Yeah, for SEC registrants. And then like, like I think Mac alluded to is, you know, private companies can use these as general guidelines, but you know, not kind of held to the, you know, the, the rule of the law here mm -hmm. for, for their financial statements, but just a good framework to have. Okay. So Mac, uh, for companies that are, that prepare financial information on an interim basis, are there different considerations as it relates to the balance sheet between annual reporting and the interim reporting? So there's, there's really minimal presentation requirements for interim financial reporting under US GAAP. So, so many reporting entities will follow article 10 from reg SX which is specifically applicable to SEC registrants. So in following Article 10, a reporting entity's financial statements 
will be labeled condensed because the the financial statement line items are you'll often call it uh, or often hear it condensed to FSLI. They're not record they're not re required to be shown at the same level of detail uh, as year end uh, reporting or annual financial statements. Um, so specifically related to the balance sheet, Article 10 requires interim balance sheet information as of the end of the most recent quarter and the preceding fiscal year. So think Q1 and then at the end of the preceding fiscal year. Okay. Um, and then that would be applicable throughout the rest of the year. So if Q3 is the period you're reporting on, you would have to show Q3 and then the end of the previous fiscal year. Comparable interim balance sheet information for the prior year's quarter is not required. So you wouldn't have to show, you know, the current year's Q3 or balance sheet and then also the prior year's Q3, just the in, just the previous year's annual. There's some uh, caveats to this. If it's necessary to understand seasonality, things like that, then it may be appropriate to present that. Article 10 also allows certain balance sheet financial statement line items to be condensed. Um, so things like raw materials, work in process and finished good inventories should be on the face of the balance sheet or in the footnotes of the financial statements. All line items that total less than 10% of total assets and have not increased or decreased by more than 25% since the end of the preceding fiscal year can be combined with other financial statement line items. Um, in practice, you'll most commonly see entities start with their annual balance sheet and kind of use that as a starting place and then can identify some of the line items that can be combined uh, with other financial statement line items to really condense the balance sheet under Article 10. Okay, super helpful, Mac. You know, Adam, before we wrap up on the balance sheet, is there anything else that our listeners need to know that we haven't touched on that we see clients asking questions around? Yeah, so there's one other kind of item related to the balance sheet that we definitely hear about from time to time and, and does come up. And it's this concept of balance sheet offsetting, which is essentially a, allowing for a net presentation of an asset and liability on the face of the balance sheet versus grossing up that asset and liability separate. So ASC 210 kind of outlines um, when an entity might have that right to offset an asset and liability account and there's specific criteria that have to be met. So let's look at you know the four criteria that you have to think about in order for a reporting entity uh, to offset on their balance sheet. So the first criteria is that each of the two parties has to owe the other a determinable amount. The second one is that the reporting party has the right to offset the amount with the amount owed by the other party. Third one is that the reporting party intends to actually offset those amounts. And then the last one is that the right of offset is enforceable by law. So if you kind of step back and think about those four criteria, you know, three of those are pretty you know, objective in for, as far as determining whether or not those are met. Um, and then you've got the fourth one there around intent. And so obviously a little more judgment when you're thinking about the intent to offset. Um, when you're evaluating intent, you know, one kind of key factor is, you know, you can always look at kind of historical precedent, past practices of the reporting entity and whether or not, you know, there's been intent um, kind of instilled in the past. And that can be usually a good indicator that there's intent uh, for this current arrangement. I guess the last thing I'd leave on that balance sheet offsetting piece is that the offsetting guidance is really only specific to presentation. So just how it looks on the balance sheet, it doesn't actually extend to like de-recognizing assets and liabilities. So if there is a required disclosure for these amounts in the foots to the footnotes to the financial statements, 
um, you would have to show those grossed up in the in the footnotes to the financial statements as part of that disclosure. It's really just a balance sheet presentation that you're afforded if you meet the criteria. Yeah. Adam, Mac, listen, I know that some of our clients, this might be uh, very elementary to them and some of our listeners, but I do know that this is going to be really helpful context for this new series that we're doing for startups. So I appreciate your insight to this and uh, look forward to talking about this more and some of the other tips and tricks we have for some of these newer companies uh, as they get everything in order from an accounting perspective. Yeah, and even if you're not a newer company, I think sometimes just a good refresher, right? Just to like think back to some of the basics and you've, you've been doing financial reporting for a while or maybe you're new into your financial reporting role, but your company isn't new itself. Um, I think there's still a lot of good reminders in here to kind of keep people on, on the straight and narrow. Absolutely. Great point there, Adam. Well, listen, from Embark's headquarters in Dallas, Texas, thanks for listening to Accounting Matters. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.